Oh, let me start uh, by taking you through um, my eye ailments. These are uh, my reading glasses. Um, anybody else have to wear these? We can see, you know, okay at a distance, but up close as we get older, our up close vision uh, gets worse. And so I wear, wear these. I have these everywhere. I have them at home. I have them at my office, in my truck, in my pocket if I'm smart. Because with these and a flashlight, I can read a menu at a restaurant. But spiritually speaking, this can be a vision issue for people like us. We can be real good at seeing stuff in other people's lives. 20 feet away, we can see someone and call out their sin, point our fingers at their imperfection, at their flaws, and miss the mess that is us. It's why Jesus said, hey, don't point your finger at somebody else's sin. Take a good, long, hard look at yourself. You know how to cure this kind of up-close Vision problem, pray. Pray this prayer, I think. Yeah, there. Take an up-close look at my life, God. Point out anything offensive in me, then guide me on the road to eternal life. I wanna know what's in me. I don't wanna be blind to what's in me. It's not about other people's sins. It's about mine, Lord. Help me see it and lead me in the way eternal. And then... uh. If you see me driving a vehicle, pull off onto the sidewalk. You'll be safer. Um, my, my license allows me to continue to drive during the day, but to drive during the day, I've got to wear these. And uh, my vision, without these, my vision is real cloudy and hazy. It's one of the reasons that I can't really recognize faces anymore. But I put these on and I look cool. But they give me a clear, crisp vision of everything in front of me. So I can drive safely as long as I have these glasses on. Now again, we all can have these kind of issues where what's in front of us can be hazy and cloudy and confusing. And so it's time to pray again. Check this out. Here's how we go against this vision problem spiritually. Ask God to make your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he's calling you to do. This is wild. I don't know why you think you're here today, but I know that God has brought you to indicate to you, to help you see clearly what he wants you to do. He's got a plan for the rest of the afternoon. He's got a plan for all this week. He knows what he wants you to do and he wants you to be able to see it with crisp clarity. Now, my license, my driver's license, I cannot drive at night. They only allow me, sure, this is serious. My driver's license, I can drive from the church home on Saturday nights when it's dark. But when I drive at night, I have to wear these. Now, these don't make me look cool. I make them look cool. <laughs> uh, but, but as cars approach me, the, the, their lights are like blinding. In fact, I just have to kind of pull off to the side of the road and after they go by, let my eyes readjust. But when I wear these, they completely cut out the glare so I can drive safely um, six miles uh, to get home to my wife and pizza. Um, but here's the deal. 
There is a blinding work. We all need these kinds of glasses spiritually because there is a blinding work against you and your relationship with God. Look at the word of God. The Bible says, Satan, the God of this world, blinds the minds of those who don't believe. Now, it's not talking about atheists or people who don't go to church. That word believe in the Greek is pistis. And I believe it means more accurately to surrender. Satan tries to blind us from surrendering fully to Jesus. They are unable, as a result of our lack of surrender, to see the glorious light of the good news, the glory of Christ. We need these kind of glasses spiritually. The glory of Christ, glory means unbelievable beauty. When we see it, we experience it. uh, Glory means unlimited power. When we see it, we experience it. So we need these glasses. Now I got some other glasses that I rarely, in fact, I think these are my wife's. These are safety glasses and I hardly ever wear them because you only wear them when you're gonna actually do real work. And you wear them to protect your vision. Um, But again, from a spiritual perspective, some people wear safety glasses all the time because they don't want to have to be affected by the hurts of this world. They don't want to be affected by the sight of hungry people. They don't want to be affected by the sight of hurting children. They don't want to be affected of the plight of, of the homeless and the poor. So they just go around wearing safety glasses all the time. But I want to tell you something. If you are a Christian, the first thing that happened to you when you gave your life to Christ, Jesus ripped off your safety glasses because he wants you to see the world through his eyes. Jesus has no use at all for safety glasses. Here's what Jesus Here's the glasses Jesus wants us to wear. You'll remember these? Three, how many of you been to a 3D movie? Saw that action coming at you, yeah. When Jake and Miriam lived in Puerto Rico, they had a 3D TV. And I always wish someone could take a picture of us in that dark room all wearing these glasses, watching the action on the screen. But here's the deal. Our Jesus has 3D vision that is bigger than any TV screen, any movie screen, any IMAX theater. Here's today's truth. Here's what I want you to get. Jesus sees the whole world, every hurting child, every hungry person, every homeless person. We could go on and on and on. My sister-in-law found out last week that she has a terrible, terrible form of cancer, inoperable. My Jesus sees her. Last Sunday morning, my month-old grandson was having surgery. Jesus sees him, Lucy. Jesus sees Lucy going into surgery. Jesus sees little Bentley with his cancer. Jesus sees. He's got three DVs. He never wears safety glasses. So what I want to do today is take you through the three Ds of compassion, how Jesus calls us to see the world through his eyes. And the first D is like level one. It's the entry level. D1 is the entry level of compassion. You make a decision. You see, compassion is decisive. It actually gets to your head 
before it gets to your heart because compassion is love in action. And unless you decide, you're just gonna stay back on the sidelines. They can parade hurting people, uh, children with issues, the homeless in front of you, and you just stay on the sidelines because you have not been decisive about putting your love into action. In fact, the word of God says this, because of the increase of wickedness. Now, this is not talking about bad stuff happening out in the world. This is talking about bad stuff happening in my heart. This is about wickedness in your heart. Because that wickedness increases, even if you go to church, even if you say your prayers, even if you read the Bible, because of the increase of wickedness in our hearts, the love of most, Jesus says, will grow cold. It's like doing life all the time with safety glasses. We just become immune to the pain and struggle of the people around us. So let me teach it this way. How many of you have heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? Okay, okay, I won't tell it then. No, I'm gonna tell you about a different time in a different place for a different reason. And get this, for a different lesson. Jesus feeds the 4,000. Here's the story from the word of God. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. The Greek word there for compassion is splachna. Say splachna. splachna. Yeah, now wipe the back of the head of the person in front of you that just spit on. Um, in this church, you gotta wear your mask backwards. Uh, okay, <laughs> one more time. Splachna. Yeah, it's something that happens here, but it comes out in loving action. It's not just feeling sorry for someone. It's not just feeling sympathy for someone. It's not being empathetic toward them. No, compassion is love in action. Jesus, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna do, I am deciding to do something. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion for these people for they've been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't wanna send them away hungry. Now this is double good news for us. Number one, when you go to Jesus with your need, when you go to Jesus with your hurt, when you go to Jesus with your, con he doesn't want to send you away. Continuing to be anxious, continuing to be concerned, continuing to be daunted by the challenge. No, he wants, his compassion wants to put his love into action. But here's the other side of the good news he was talking to his disciples. And while he talked to them, his word is eternal. He's talking to us. He didn't want the people to go away hungry because he wanted his disciples to do something. And so we're disciples of Christ. When we know that a child is hurting, when we know that a person is homeless, when we know there are hungry in our community, when we know there are kids without, he's telling us because he wants to use us so they don't go away with the same need by which they've come. Somebody say Amen. Okay, I feel better. Okay, his disciples, his disciples, they got on safety glasses. His disciples answered, hey, where would we get enough? Where would we get enough? Where would we get enough bread in this remote place to, to feed such a crowd? That's the question people ask when their love has grown cold. Oh, they're still going to church. They still say their prayers. But their love has grown cold, and so they always want to know, Will there be enough for me? If I help some orphan in Haiti, will there still be enough for me? If I reach out to the homeless in my community, will there still be enough? Will there be enough? Where are we gonna get enough? 
So we keep the safety glasses on. So Jesus asked them a compassion question. It's a test and it's how he tests us. He asked them, what have you got? And that's what he asked us. What have you got? He doesn't expect us to do something beyond what, what he's already given us, but he's given us such abundance. He's, he's given us amply so that out of our abundant supply, we, don't, you know, we just don't do it all for us and all for us and all for us and all for us. We're able to do for others. And they answered Jesus' question with their safety glasses on. They said, well, Jesus, to be real, we got seven, don't tell anybody, Jesus, but we got seven loaves of bread and a few fish. It's enough. There's 12 of us, there's one of you, 13. That's enough for us to have supper. Send the people away. And Jesus said, give me that bread. He's nicer than me. Jesus took the seven loaves and the fish and when he had given thanks, oh my gosh, you guys, you know probably what's gonna happen. 4,000 people are gonna be fed, but it began with a meager amount, but Jesus gave thanks for what he had. So when you wake up in the morning and you draw that first breath and you realize, you say, thank God. Thank God for another breath. Thank you, God, for another day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, okay, let's talk about right now. You walk out of this room in about three hours. Now you walk out of this room and you're gonna get in a vehicle. And as you walk um, to your vehicle, you see yourself in your, uh, in your side mirrors and you, you know, you check out your clothes. You got clothes, you got a car, you're gonna drive home. You're gonna have a roof over your head. You got food. My kids say that we've got a pantry that looks like we could survive the zombie apocalypse. We got so much spam. But look, think of all you, thank God that I got a car. Thank God that I can put clothes on myself. Thank God that we got a roof over our head. You just go through life thanking God, thanking God. And as you thank God, he multiplies what you've got. But it's not just multiplied for you. It's multiplied for the needs around you. Jesus took the seven loaves, fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn, they got in on the miracle. They start breaking and giving. And they all ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up, check this out. They had seven loaves and now they come back with seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those, at least men who ate, 4,000 men, maybe another 4,000 women, maybe 4,000, maybe 12,000 people fed by seven loaves. And in addition, each guy got to bring back abundance. What was Jesus teaching them? That when you thank God for it, and when you go with what you've got, it comes back to you. Cast your bread upon the waters. And what's gonna happen? God always resupplies. God always replenishes. God always brings it back. You see, deciding to do compassion is a decision for great gain. Now, it's not why we do compassion, but you can bake on it. It's a promise of God. And in Psalm 146, I'm trying to memorize it, but it says, God keeps all his promises forever. At night when my Debbie and I hold hands and take communion, 
We thank God that he keeps all his promises for our family, for our finances, for our emotion. God keeps all of his promises forever. That's D1, making a decision to let put your love into action. Here's level two, D2. Uh, the first is the entry level. The second is the experimental level. You make a demonstration. You practice Compassion, you look for opportunities to be compassionate and you just happen to be in a church that loves to give you opportunities for compassion. And God tries to make this as simple as possible. Maybe you say, well, hey, you know, the, the miracle of Jesus, it was very dramatic, but I tell you the truth, Dave, out of my league, I can't do a miracle. I can't, David Clark can't do a miracle, but I can do the best I can with what I've got. And you can do the best you can with what you've got. And that's what compassion is. That's how compassion works. Compassion is you doing the best you can simply with what you've got. And God makes it very plain how this works. He breathes on a guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah writes it down. We have it in the Bible. It's lasted forever. The Lord says, share your food with the hungry. You got food? Out of what you have, what you got, share with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Now this is the passion of this church. If you're newer to Central, this is who we are. This is what we do. Because this is the passion of Jesus Christ. And his heart beats. And our hearts long to beat in time with his so we share food every week, every Wednesday. We give a week's worth of groceries to hungry people in this immediate area. Every Wednesday, hungry people show up. Every Wednesday, they receive a week's worth of groceries. Now you can imagine, giving away like that, it's not always easy to keep the pantry shelves stocked full. And so, this is what we do every year. In December, we'll have a weekend, second weekend in December, when we all bring bags of groceries. If you have food, Share it with the hungry. So we have food on our table, in our fridge, in our pantry. We go to the grocery store. When we buy our grocery, we pick up a couple of bags more for the hungry of our community. And we bring them right here to church. I love just to set them on the stage so we can see what a church can do when a church moves together. People watching online, you know where to put it. You just bring it to the cart sitting outside. Load them up and we'll feed the hungry. That's what compassion does. But the scripture said, also give shelter to the homeless. Now, the homeless population in our area is really growing and terrible winter weather is coming. Um, God put the homeless uh, on my heart and several years ago, I fell in love with one of the homeless guys, there's a whole bunch of guys in this camp, and there were two camps, one on either side of the river, and I would go out there and take them firewood and sit down and talk with them and ask them, hey, what can our church do for you? Is there anything you need? And once they said, well, you know, we're kind of gross, we could use showers. I said, no problem. I got a bunch of people to drive out, pick them up in cars, bring them back to the church. In our gym, we put up a big taco uh, buffet for them. They were able to take showers. I had people come in who could give them haircuts. They got haircuts. But there's this one guy who really came to mean a lot to me. He was the first guy that we began to help. And 
um, snow had come early to Wisconsin. We had six inches on the ground. Frigid temperatures had come. And when we found him, he was kind of away from the homeless camp, but he was in a tent. And we gave him clean socks. We went and got him some boots and some gloves, made sure he had a, had a coat. Um, his name was Red. Did anybody know Red in our area? Anyway, I, I just really, God gave me a heart for him. And so I would, I would find him. He wasn't always with the other guys. And I knew a place, if he wasn't with the other guys, I could always find him. And he would just lay down a piece of cardboard and sleep on it. And this time when I found him, he was so wasted. Uh, he was barely conscious and he had soiled himself and uh, just heartbreaking. And I'd brought him some stuff, but he wasn't even aware. So I set it down and I, got down the ground with him, picked him up in my arms, and I began to call down the goodness of God on red. And just to speak life into him. Uh, he, his alcohol problem progressed, and um, I guess it was hypothermia. I'm not really sure, but he ended up in the hospital with um, uh, numerous places on his body where he had, not freezer burn, what is it? Frostbite, oh, so sad. And then finally, again, must have been hypothermia. Uh, what clothes he had, took him off, laid down in a ditch and passed away. But that's, sometimes we think about that and we think that's far, far away. That's, that's here. Camps of homeless men. And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna partner as a church with an effort locally called Warmth for the homeless. And we're gonna invite you to join us to bring backpacks and um, sleeping bags and socks and hats and gloves. And we're gonna pack the and, and hygiene items. Hygiene's a big deal when you live in tents out in the, the woods. And so we're gonna pack those backpacks with the stuff and put a sleeping bag on it. And we're gonna reach out to those who are homeless. But scripture said also, clothes for people who are in need. And so we set aside a Sunday, first Sunday in December, our practice is to collect winter gear for the children in our community who have none. So we bring brand new coats, hats, uh, gloves for them. I'm talking about a school right, uh, right across our parking lot, right there. I, I, my Deb and I went one time to help a family. They were um, being evicted from their house and the house they were renting had not a stitch of furniture in it, nothing. Not just bare floors. And when we were told them we were there to help them and to move them and to find them a place, um, they went to the closet. All, they wore outside every stitch of clothing they owned. They just put, kept putting it on. Didn't have coats. Just wore three or four shirts. That's how kids are going to school. Just with a hoodie. What do you think it makes a kid feel like on the inside when they other, see other kids with brand new coats? We're not gonna let that happen. If we have anything to say about it. So second week in December, we bring brand new coats and hats and gloves and they get distributed to kids in our community so they can be warm during the winter. And then we're partnering with the United States Marine Corps because they told me to and they said, or drop and give me 50. <laughs> and we're doing Toys for Tots. And so the, the barrels will be up next week and so we'll immediately begin to buy toys from at the store Throughout COVID, 
My Debbie and I would buy toys and Happy Meals and go to the houses of our grandchildren and stand outside, you know, put the stuff on the porch and so they didn't forget us. Um, and we're still doing it. I'm praying for the second coming of Jesus or I'm gonna go broke. Um, but we're gonna get toys to these children. We're gonna give them a Christmas. We're gonna give them the hope and joy, peace of Christmas that they would not have otherwise. We're gonna take advantage of these opportunities to do compassion. But the wild thing about God is, he doesn't just say, hey, I'll make this as plain as possible. This is what compassion looks like. Feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, give clothes to those who are in need. Then he starts rifling off promises, unbelievable promises. He says, you do those three things, here's what I promise you. He says, then my favor will shine on you like the morning sun. Friends, there's nothing I want more than the favor of God on my finances, on my marriage, on my family, on my friends, on my ministry, on my emotions. Then my favor will shine on you. Your wounds will heal quickly. Got physical struggles. Got loved one with physical struggles. God makes you a promise that when you feed the hungry and shelter the homeless and take care of people who don't have enough clothes, he makes your wounds heal quickly. I will always be with you to save you. I'm not just gonna stand by you. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna deliver you. I'm gonna rescue you. My presence will protect you on every side. And when you pray, I will answer you. Now, some people have complained to me through the years, hey, what is this deal with prayer? My prayers are like they just bump up against the ceiling. God's telling you how to get your prayers answered. Feed the hungry, help the homeless. Give clothes to those who are indeed. Well, I, I just be real with you. Those first two levels of compassion, atheists can do those. People who don't even believe in God can do those. Here's the test of your Christian faith. It's level three. This is the deepest level of compassion. It's to exalt Christ, to make a difference for him. I want you to get a vision in your mind right now of Jesus hanging on the cross. If you want to shut your eyes, you're welcome to, but just get that image of Christ on the cross. His face is beaten beyond recognition. His own mom wouldn't recognize him. So swollen and bruised and bloody. His beard has forcibly been pulled out by the roots. Crown of thorns is pressed against his brow. His back has been turned into hamburger. 39 lashes from a nine lash whip. The loss of blood is horrific. Nails are piercing his wrists and his ankles. And he's suffering all of this for me, for my sins. He is your substitute. He's taking your place. Got the beating, got the lashing, got the crucifixion in your place. It's what you deserve for your sin, but he took it for you because he loves you. He took it for me because he loves me. Have you got that image in your mind? You see, the highest level of compassion is when we have compassion for Jesus. We see him on the cross. We know what he did in our place. God raised him from the dead to validate that we are called to have compassion for Christ. And how do we do that? The Bible lays it out straight and clear. The Bible says on every Lord's Day, every Lord's Day, every Lord's Day, each of you, no excuses, no exemptions, no exceptions, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it 
for the offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. Now, in that day, people received their wages every day, a day's wages for a day's work. My granddaughter works for the University of Chicago. She gets paid every month. She gets paid on a monthly basis. Our staff here, they are paid weekly. Some of you um, may be paid every other week. I'm on Social Security. My Social Security comes at the end, last Wednesday of every month. But however we receive income, we are to take a portion of that income out of every pay period and bring it to the Lord. People who make a lot, the Lord says, you show your compassion for Christ by giving a lot. People who make a little, you, you just give a little because it's based on your income. But whatever the Lord has helped you earn, that's what you are to bring back to him out of every pay period. It said every Lord's Day in the text. And we do offerings every Lord's Day, not passing the plate anymore, but we, we receive offerings from our people based on their income. This is how you know that you have the compassion of Christ in you. Deciding to be compassionate, demonstrating compassion, it's a one and done. A toy for a tot, one and done. A, a coat and gloves for a kid, one and done. Food for the hungry, one and done. Help for the homeless, one and done. No, Jesus' compassion is a lifestyle. He gives us our income and out of the income, out of every pay period, we bring an offering to him out of our compassion for Christ. But it's also our compassion for the church. We love the bride of Christ because we love Christ. And when we have compassion for him, we have compassion for his bride, the church. Scripture says Christ loved the church. Put his love into action. He gave himself up for her. Now, if you think, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, that's not very personal. The reality is this. Jesus willingly gave his life up on a bloodstained cross for me and for you. And I want to make this as personal as possible, so I'd like to invite you to stand with me right now. Now again, I'd like for you to get the image of Jesus in your thoughts. And if you need to close your eyes, that's cool because I'm gonna say the words and when you hear me say them, you just say them after me. But we want this to be tattooed on our souls so we get the compassion of Christ. Not the one and doneers. Not the safety glasses. That is, he loved the church. We love the church. Repeat after me. Christ loved me. me. Again, Christ loved me. Christ loved me. me. And gave himself up. And gave himself up on the cross. And gave himself up up. for me, for me, for me. 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 Let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, we don't want our love to grow cold. We want to put our compassion for you into action. 
We thank you for everything you've afforded us, Lord. And we will step up and make a difference for the homeless and the hungry and the children. But Lord Jesus, we want to make a difference for you. We thank you. We love you. And we thank you for loving us enough to come and die for us and be raised from the dead. Oh, Jesus, at the right hand of God, we adore you. We worship you. We celebrate you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.